There's so much possibility. There's so much opportunity in the tech industry to rethink why we do business, not how we do business, why we do business. I want to use what we've got to demonstrate that you can have it all. I want to demonstrate that you can have a purpose-driven business that is not only for the sake of feeling good, but for the sake of actually it drives growth as well. If we become more purpose-driven, the growth will follow. Welcome to Secret Leaders. Today, I'm joined by Johnny White, the founder and CEO of Ticket Taylor. If you've been to an event in the last 10 years, there's a good chance you've encountered Ticket Taylor. It's a bootstrap business that helps event organizers sell tickets. Johnny started with the goal of making £2,000 a month before wanting to take it full time. Now Ticket Taylor makes over £6 million annually and shows no signs of stopping. The reason we're bringing you this story is the overwhelming desire from our listeners to hear more stories of founders going the bootstrapping path versus raising lots of money and wanting to hear some more insights from relatable founders, following in the footsteps that so many others choose to take instead of the crazy overhyped venture capital route. As a result, we're going to learn more about how to bootstrap a successful business. How do you hire, grow, sell when you've got limited cash? And we're going to also uncover the downsides and hidden costs of bootstrapping that you might not know about. Johnny, that's a lot of promises that I've just put on you. So uh, you're here to deliver. Welcome to Secret Leaders. Thanks so much, Dan. Uh, So great to be here and really excited to talk about bootstrapping because I think it is a really viable way to run a business and has a lot of upsides. So very happy to share that. Yeah, all upside, no downside, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. Okay, so look, let's start at the beginning. Uh, why Ticket Taylor? Like, why did you want to start this business? Did you, when you were younger and everyone else was choosing astronaut and doctor, you were like ticket seller? Yeah, really good question. Um, when I was growing up, we didn't have any of the kind of usual technology that a lot of my friends had. You know, a lot of, we didn't have any games consoles. We didn't have a VCR. We only had one English channel on the TV. I uh, grew up in Germany. and uh, But, but uh, we did have uh, great computers when we were growing up. You know, we had a 386, we had a Pentium, we had a ribbon printer. Um, my oldest brother was really into it. And my parents clearly realized there's something in getting this tech to like foster this passion. And uh, sure enough, it was my passion as well. So I spent a lot of time as a kid um, learning about computer programming uh, and saw the like evolution of the internet. You know, we had a modem um, before there was even a search engine, you know? And um, so I never really knew what I wanted to do actually, but I was definitely very passionate about software, studied software engineering. And then whilst I was at university studying software engineering, the thing that wasn't available, I was at Birmingham for university, and the thing that wasn't available at the time was any way to find out what was going on in the city. So all you really knew about was the student events. And for me, that wasn't that wasn't my cup of tea. I wanted to know what, what, what was the music happening in the city. Um, so I created this website called What's On In Brum. And I would go to all the record shops, pick up flyers, uh, take them back to my study, type in the information to this um, PHP website that I've made. And yeah, people would come onto the website, find out what's going on. And it was like the first kind of what's on guide for Birmingham. Through that then I got a lot of freelance work building websites for nightlife uh, kind of club brands in Birmingham and also got a gig working uh, building a ticketing platform as well, um, which integrated with uh, what's on in Brum, this website I built. So I got into ticketing through that. And then after off the back of that, got more and more requests for building ticketing systems. Uh, but usually, you know, you get a request saying, oh, can you build me a ticketing system? Uh, I'll put together a quote and then it would be too much, even though uh, it was a very reasonable quote. But just people wanted to have their own system. They didn't want to use an agency. They didn't want a middleman. Uh, and after this happened a couple of times, I thought, hang on, there's definitely an opportunity here. I can definitely uh, build something that is the template of a ticketing system that then I can resell. And around that time was when, um, you know, SaaS was becoming a thing. And I was thinking, okay, this is it. This is it. I can sell software here instead of people using an agency. I can sell the tool for people to be able to do it themselves. So that's kind of where the idea came from. Got it. Okay. So it turns out like a lot of people, you kind of stumble into it. Um, I mean, obviously you're, you're getting practical experience. The insight starts to come that you could probably do this better. Um, like how old are you at this point and i guess more importantly you know what were people around you in your social circle doing yeah so well when i started that website what's on in brum i was at university 
that was a lot of fun actually socially because we would get invited to things with my mates and uh would go to all the opening parties and things it'd be really cool um and then off the back of university i was actually yeah built freelancing as a web developer for two or three years um i moved to london moved into an office with um another like a web development agency you know they were like five people I was just me and then I hired someone and so I was two people but I was kind of like looking at what they were doing looking at what this agency were doing thinking do I want that do I want to grow this like web development shop um to what they're doing and actually I realized I didn't it was really valuable being in the same office as them because I could see the struggles right it's like okay sales pipeline hiring people you're selling people's time and I really kind of realized my desire that actually selling time is a really hard thing to do um selling software is way more scalable so obviously moving into starting ticket tailor did you have a big plan did you have a vision were you sort of just doing it for the fun of it like would you imagine even then that you're still doing it today no i didn't have any of those things um partly it was the idea of and any software engineer will relate to this the idea of having a kind of completely blank canvas to to build something it's like oh there's some people are asking for this and almost like kidding myself that i could do it you know i could i could like create this business but really like right then the point being oh, it's fun to geek out on a new framework or something for 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 a while and so i was building it for about 6 months in my spare time alongside doing client work and it was really good fun for a while and then you hit the points like okay right, I've been working on this for a long time and you really have to be honest with yourself about, am I actually going to, is this going to be the one that I take over the line or is it going to sit on the pile with the domain names and the half-built products, um, you know, the graveyard basically. And yeah, it's when you hit things like the forgot password process or getting the terms and conditions written. Um, and I really hit this stumbling block where I was like, okay, I've forgotten whether people actually want this. It was so long ago that I had this idea that this that this idea was valid and I needed some more validation. So what, one of the things I did was I decided, okay, I need to find a customer. I've got this product like 80% there, but there's quite a lot still to do, you know, not least building a marketing website to to promote it. And so I decided to load up Google Maps. I'm This is 2000 and when, 2002. 11 2010 end of 2010 beginning of 2011 and i'm in shoreditch and i load up google maps and i just pick off the places along brick lane and i decide to cold call them but my anxiety levels are incredibly high so what i actually do is go and buy a book called how to eliminate fear uh on cold calling and i read the first page and it does the job right it gives me the confidence i'm like okay i don't need all the techniques i just need the confidence to pick up the phone and sure enough the first page gave me that so threw the book away called up the called up the first person and uh yeah get the answer oh the manager's not in uh so i'm like oh put the phone down phew thank god for that give it half an hour and then I've plucked up the courage to call up another one and um yeah it doesn't it rings off and I'm like oh thank god I don't need to speak to anyone wait another half an hour and then I get through to the brick house uh, which was a cabaret venue on brick lane and the manager picks up and I start explaining what I'm doing and he's like oh yeah we're looking to do ticketing actually and we don't want to use an agency and I'm thinking this is amazing um and we have a meeting the next week I don't have a website at this point I don't have anything i print out some price plans on a piece of A4 paper and I come to this meeting and I show him the demo on, on my laptop and say, you know, these are the prices, do you want to sign up? And he does a bit of negotiation, and uh, but he signs up to a £40 a month plan uh, when the product launches. And that was all I needed. That was the validation that then was like, okay, I'm going to do the terms and conditions. I'm going to build the marketing site. I'm going to get this thing over the line, get it live. And, you know, it's that nugget of motivation. It was it's just interesting to reflect on that about like how motivation is the most uh, valuable resource that you've got basically as a kind of individual person trying to trying to trying to get a bootstrap business like live it's interesting though because what was your motivation it sounds a little bit like your motivation there was overcoming fear but you know as someone who you know kindling media make secret leaders that is a bootstrap business our motivation is uh want to hire people want to not run out of money don't want the business to fail want to you know all of the things that I'd actually say a lot of the motivation uh, often comes from fear, right? You know, it's it, you're you often seem much closer to death when you're running a bootstrapped company, especially if you're looking to grow it. Um, if you're happy, like keeping the status quo, then not really a problem. But anytime you're trying to take any kind of risk, it does feel a lot riskier. And the downside is a lot, it feels like a lot higher. 
And so I guess that's my experience running a bootstrapped company, but what is yours? And how do you relate the difference between motivation and discipline? The motivation at that point was to stop selling my time. So, I'd, you know, I guess initially my motivation was like, oh, I'm going to geek around on something new technically. Then my motivation became, uh, okay, this is the one I want to get over the line so that I can stop selling my time. So I'm not going to become the agency. You know, that was the alternative, right? It's like grow like a web development agency freelance model. So that was my motivation to move away from that and to think I could pay my bills with a product business, with a with a software business rather than a rather than a selling time business. So that was my motivation. Um, yeah, and relating motivation to discipline. Um, yeah, I worked a lot of long nights that that first year, and it does require discipline. And I needed that. My motivation ran out, and I needed that push. Once I'd had that, once I'd had that, once I knew that like, okay, if I can get through this slog of really boring stuff now to get this live and that's discipline, then I, I'll believe that there's going to be something at the end of this. And the goal I set at that point was, okay, I believe I'm going to get at least one customer because I've got one. Now I want to get to £2,000 a month and then that's when I'll stop working, stop selling my time and I'm going to focus full time on this thing. So that then became my new motivation that 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 new goal um that I could work towards why two thousand pound a month where does that plan come from and what was the next plan yeah so two thousand pound a month I'm not sure um I was living in London so I don't know how that was enough um but uh also living with my now wife uh who was in a um is a works works at a law firm so she had a strong stable job and you know gave some security around that right so it probably wasn't enough money to live off, but it was enough to be like, okay, I can make the leap and, uh, you know, Lara will take care of bills if, if it doesn't work out. So definitely had that safety net, which, which helped a lot. And I guess if I didn't have that, maybe that goal would have been higher, but it was 2000 pound a month and the next goal. So yeah, so we hit that goal after, after a year or so of, of kind of growing. And then I was wondering what to do next. And what everyone was talking about at this point, yeah, 2011, Old Street was dubbed Silicon Roundabout. It was tech meetups everywhere. And yeah, and everyone was talking about getting funding. And so I thought, okay, what I need to do is get funding because that's clearly what happens now, right? I've proven the business. I've got some product market fit. Now it's about getting business, get, getting some funding. And someone someone suggested I should raise £400,000 um, to take this business to the next level. And who wouldn't want the security of that in their bank account at that stage, right? It sounds very tempting to be like, okay, you're going from, um, yeah, making a small amount of money to being able to almost feels like it should be relaxing, right? To be like, okay, all that money, that's, that, 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 that gives a lot of breathing room. And yeah. And so, so I put together a pitch deck for like getting this investment, but I didn't even know what I wanted to, sp- didn't know what I wanted to spend the money on, you know, didn't know what 400,000 pounds would do, had absolutely no idea, had no, no experience like managing people or growing teams or anything like that. But actually, as it happens, whilst this was going on as well, um, I got an email in my inbox that said, uh, Hey Johnny, uh, I'm the product director at timeout and we're interested in doing ticketing. Would you, uh, be interested in having a chat, see if Ticket Tailor is a good fit. And this was quite exciting because it was a you know huge customer potentially. But I was also thinking, well, basically a one man band here. How will we support a customer of this size? The conversations progressed, and soon enough, it turned actually into an acquisition uh, conversation. Timeout were looking to integrate ticketing into the timeout website so that uh, the transaction could happen on the platform and uh, and yeah we were talking about an acquisition if you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the uk you're probably going to need iso 27001 at some point it's not the sexiest acronym but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch like how you handle customer data the same goes with SOC 2 you're gonna need it if you're a SaaS company but achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly this is where our partner vanta comes in 
Banter automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanter. Just head to vanter.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI. But until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. And you're talking about an acquisition really like so early at a point where you might be raising money you might be, you know, employing your first employee. It's unusual, right? It's unusual to get this very left field thing happening. And, you know, you're describing yourself as a one man band. I'm assuming don't really have advisors around you who can help you through this process. So what did you do? Yeah, it wasn't a done deal. It wasn't like this opportunity came along and I was like, yeah, I really want to go for this. It was really hard because this business was taking off. It was, I didn't know which direction it was going to go, but I felt like I was onto something and I put a lot of work into getting to this point. In terms of people around me, yeah, I, the office I was in, again, come, coming back to this, like being in this office with this agency, these guys are a lot wiser and uh, smarter than me in that regard and could, you know, talking to them about it really helped uh, and, and put stuff into perspective, you know, about, about the opportunity. The other thing that I was reflecting on as well was, I had never worked in a job. I'd always worked for myself, always either been just me or me and I've hired one other person for a while. And so I had no experience of actually working with other people. I had no experience of meetings, I had no experience of any of this stuff. So that played into the opportunity as well. It's like, hang on a minute, there's an op- I can get an opportunity here of experience. And yeah, that, that, that seems quite appealing. Okay, so how did you make the decision? What happened next? Yeah, um, there was a few things playing into it. In terms of the decision, there was like the glamour of selling your business, right? Again, with people getting funding, that was one thing that was talked about. The other thing that's talked about is people selling their businesses. So in my mind, I was like, if I do this, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to be on, you know, the cover of Wired magazine and, uh, you know, really playing up in my head of it being this uh, amazing thing um, for my like ego. Uh, (laughs) The other thing was uh, the money. It would be nice for this work that I put in to uh you know it'll it'll pay back for the for the like loss of earnings i guess and the sweat that i put into it um so that played into it as well and then thirdly was was the experience and you know what i was on the call with um one of the uh, i think it was the ceo of time out at the time and he said you know what you'll be able to build another one of these things um later on in life and i was like actually maybe i probably will and will i get many opportunities like this and Actually, probably not. And I probably really need it. I probably really need to go and work in this environment. Um, So that was how I made that decision. And so, but the funny thing is going from that like negotiation experience, which was quite fun and quite like, you know, could go either way. The ball's quite in my court because, uh, you know, as I say, could go either way through to actually the deal getting done is a long time from agreeing. Yes. Okay. Let's do this uh, in principle. And then months, months before actually signing and it happening. Uh, and that that period, being on your own, uh, running running a business on your own, was a very stressful time, super stressful. Uh, I got a lot into meditation at that time and um, just I just really wanted to get it done and actually made quite a few mistakes in that process as well. So one thing I did was I, uh, in terms of like finding a law firm, I found a law firm that normally buys and sells houses and thinking, oh, this will be fine. This will be 
that you know how different is it selling a house selling a company turns out absolutely very different and you know i wasted a month's time there and we had to start again and i had to find another law uh, another 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 law firm to to help get this over so that was very stressful very drawn out and you know in that period you don't want to think about growing the business because there's no point time out weren't buying it to for the growth of the business so i was doing things like google ads and really you know putting my energy into this every day and then once i'd made that decision all that energy stops uh, and and the point of it also stops. So it's like, why waste money on this when if this deal goes through, which it could also fall through, um, would, would just be a waste. Yeah, interesting. Your motivation changes entirely, doesn't it? To come back to that word, you know, you, you sort of change your plans and your motivation towards why you're doing the thing. Um, okay, so give us a high level on the deal that happened. Like, what's the snapshot of the reality? And I guess, you know, I want you to tell the story... Uh, sort of from start to finish, um, not not for the rest of the podcast, by the way, but just, you know, from start to finish of this moment of you're about to sell and then what transcribes back, because I think this is unique, doesn't happen often, and is very interesting for listeners to actually hear this without being interrupted by me. And then the questions that I've got, I will come in with afterwards. Cool. Yeah, so... The email comes in, we have a negotiation, that's really exciting, I decide to do it, and then it's two or three months of legal work, or silence as well, uh, then it's getting close to the deal day, I'm getting more and more excited, I go to the law firm uh, to, to go and sign, it's a Friday afternoon, and I'm going up to this law firm in the West End uh, to sign, and you know, this is the point that it's been building up to, and I go into the office and the only other person that's there is the other solicitor that's been working on it uh, from the other side and we meet for the first time but we've been chatting on email a lot um, with, with my lawyer as well sign the paperwork and then and then it's done and that's it and it's like okay cool what happens now um, and I've got no one to celebrate with at this point it's like a Friday mid-morning there's no one else um, you know like it's in because because I'm a solo you know running this business solo there's uh, there's no one to kind of celebrate with. I've always had to keep it completely confidential, so I've not told anyone as well. Um, and so, uh, and then also on top of that as well, there was no like, uh, there's no announcement about this. We're not we're not telling the press or anything like that. Um, so all that stuff where I thought, okay, this is the thing that's going to like change my uh, change my life as a, a you know as a person is just was not was not true. And so. Yeah, that part of it, which played into the decision, right? That was one of the three things that I mentioned, playing decisions. That like immediately like went away, and then I went back to my office, and I was literally refreshing uh, my bank, my bank, my bank accounts to see the money land, right? And uh, very anxious about that. And it's it's been a few hours, and the money's not landed. I'm going back through the uh, the contract, and I see my bank details are wrong uh, in the in the contract, and so I'm then calling up the lawyer and saying. The bank details are wrong. The banks are wrong. Um, and then, yeah, then they say, oh, no, no, don't worry. Don't worry. We knew that. We knew that. That actually wasn't in the very final one that you signed. We corrected that before it signed. And I was like, okay, phew, so you haven't paid the money somewhere else. So anyway, then the money comes in the afternoon. Um, and then a week or so later, I start working at timeout. And I come into timeout and I'm. my job is to integrate ticket tailor into timeout to so that transactions can happen through the platform and i'm feeling pretty cool you know i'm feeling like i'm the young guy i've sold my business um coming into the business in this unconventional way uh, as a product manager and a meeting gets set up every fortnight called the steering group and in that meeting is uh, the whole c-suite of timeout um so ceo cpo cmo cfo people dialing in from new york this is a big deal this this steering group is a big initiative um for timeout and i've got to run the meeting and i mentioned earlier i've never run a meeting uh before other than like a one-to-one -one kind of sales meeting or something that's very simple i have no idea what i'm supposed to be doing in this meeting i feel like it's something where i'm supposed to be presenting something or i've got no idea it's about getting decisions made or about i, I just i just i'm so out of my depth but every fortnight i stress about this meeting and come up with some slides and um and I think it gets to about, I don't know, maybe six or seven meetings in and people are starting to realize, okay, this actually, this guy is not, doesn't have the experience we thought 
or I don't know, don't know what realization is happening, but but the integration is not going as well as um, as well as as well as hoped, and uh, the project gets shelved. So that point is like a real learning curve for me. Like I'm very grateful to have that be thrown in that deep end, and you know, fail essentially uh, because the experience was just absolutely tremendous you know um no i don't think many people get that get that kind of experience um and then i'm working as a product manager i'm just on the product management team i'm working on different products i'm working on the daily deals platform which you know is a lot more comfortable because i'm suddenly like oh okay that's it the more at my like skill level here this is actually um what i can do i can see how i can add value here and I'm learning loads. I'm learning loads on how to work with people um, and how to how to be a product manager and how to how to get decisions made, how to how to move things forward in a, in a company like that. So that was an invaluable experience. Um, yeah. And so I work at Timeout then for uh, eighteen months, um, and I think, okay. I'm done here. I've got. I've done that experience. I've made some great friends. I've got some great experience. Um, but I don't think I've got a lot more to learn and I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I didn't have another plan of like, what's the next business. And I was like buying books on things think, thinking like, is this the thing? Is this the next thing? Um, and, but I handed my notice because I know that, you know, I've got a three month notice period as well. So I think I'll find out an idea within three months. And so it'll be fine. Um, when I handed my notice, the, I ask, can I cut my notice period down to one month? Because three months is excessive. Like I think, you know, coming in at the level that uh, they assumed I was at, three months would make sense. But as a mid-level product manager, three months was seemed excessive. And so I said, can I cut it short to one month? And they said, no, because we've still got your business. So Ticket Taylor's still running in the background, uh, still doing about 2K MRR with the customers that it has. Um, but the product hasn't changed much because we didn't get very far with the integration. Um, so they say, no, we can't cut your notice period short because we don't know what to do with Ticket Taylor. And if we cut it short, then we're going to be stuck with it. And again, I go back to this friend who said was running an agency um, in, uh, who I was working in the same office as in Shoreditch and um, explain the situation. And he comes up with a great idea. He comes up with the idea of saying, right, okay, they've basically got three options, right? One is they keep running it. One is they shut it down. And one is they can sell it back to you. And my default mode of anything like that would be like, oh, I wouldn't want to ask to sell it back to me. It seems too cheeky or it seems too like, um, I don't know, doesn't doesn't feel like a very comfortable thing to do, right? But when he put it like that, uh, it was like, actually, okay, I'm doing them a favor in a way of being like, okay, here are your options. Here's, here's how it can play out. And, you know, working out the cost of what it would be to keep running it internally um, and offering consultancy to do that as well. And then working out the cost of what it would be to shut it down, you know, how long that would take and so on. And then presenting the buying back option as the easiest one, right? And it's like cover all the legal costs, just make it a complete no brainer to be like, they want to get rid of this thing and I really want it back. So, and so present these options and they're like, yeah, go for it. Let's do it. And so then in my last three months, you know, uh, quite good actually having three months notice period then because, uh, you know, wanted to get the heads of term signed and being in the building and uh, chasing after the CFO to get that signed was uh, was quite handy because, uh, you know, they're busy. They're doing other stuff now. They've moved on. And I'm I'm like, yeah, serving out my notice, but but also want to make sure this deal actually happens and it doesn't get forgotten. So, um, yeah, that's how it plays out. So then I'm there two years later, it's 2014, and I've got a completely fresh head. Um, I've managed to pay off some of the mortgage and I've got this experience of working in a team uh, so it's an incredibly lucky and valuable experience. Okay, so basically, long story short, you start a ticketing company at the right time and before you've had the whole nightmare experience, sorry, let me rephrase that, the amazing opportunity of employing people, um, <laughs> then uh, you get swept off your feet by time out um they take the product they grandfather it almost immediately after realizing that they don't actually understand how to integrate it in the first place and that maybe they were a bit hasty you then get to learn how to do a really important job and also understand culture and feedback and you know team dynamics and hierarchy and all of these things on someone else's dime on top of all the money that they've paid you and then get to basically 
step back, realize that you want to carry on with unfinished business and get to take that product back and start afresh with all these skills that were always going to be important in your journey, but you just basically had someone else entirely fund your education to do it. Is that roughly right? Uh, yeah, it's roughly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I suppose... You're like well, a fucking leprechaun. People should just be around you or like rub you for gold or something. <laughs> well, and then the other thing is just, you know, seeing what a big business is like as well and what I don't like about big business. You know, that's another uh, val- very valuable experience. You know, I've gone through that. Well, what don't you like about big business? I guess being a small cog, like not being able to have impact. Um, so a lot of wastage um, in terms of effort uh whereas small businesses you know it's very you won't go very far if you're wasting effort okay so it's 2014 uh you've got ticket taylor you're the ceo you've got presumably some product ideas and some ambition at this point about where you want to go and what you want to do with it what are your next steps like how do you get into things like customer acquisition hiring some of the tricky stuff that people who bootstrap businesses find exceptionally challenging getting customers and finding the right employees take us through this so and it goes in that order it was a couple of years of getting customers without hiring people um and then making the decision to hire people so in that first bit of getting customers i actually was i didn't want to take on the stakeholder of hiring people at that point coming out of timeout i wanted to focus on customers entirely actually i wanted to get stuck into the the code again and I wanted to grow out the business from a, from a customer level. I met this guy called Pietro. He's a bootstrapper and he runs a company called Mob Allowed. And we meet at one of the meetups around Old Street. And he introduces me to the world of bootstrapping. He tells me about MicroConf, uh, the conference for uh, you know solo founders, bootstrapping businesses. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is a way forward. This is actually a way to run a business. And so we move into an office together. Then we go to other meetups, we find other bootstrappers, they move in and we create this uh, mini co-working space. It's just us renting some desks in an actual co-working space. And we have stand-ups every week talking about what we're what we're going to be doing that week. We're creating the rituals that people have when they have more people, um, but across our individual companies. And, you know, the amount that you can learn or the amount that I basically could copy, you know, <laughs> my friend Pietro and um, was was absolutely amazing. So I remember customer support was taking up half my time. And this is a common problem for uh, for solo founders is you want to be doing the customer support. So you hear all the feedback, but at the same time, that's going to take up half your time at some point. And it got to that point. And I thought outsourcing customer support was such a massive risk. And I saw him do it. I saw him hire someone on Upwork and uh, saw how he hired two people and had them going at the same time, you know, these kind of tricks to uh, and see who was best. And then, um, and that kind of thing just gave me so much. It wasn't me taking the risk. He was taking the risk on that. I could then copy him. And we would spend lunch times just talking about growth hacks and uh, things like that. So it was an incredible, again, I suppose it's similar to the first part of the journey where being in the same office as that agency, uh, getting so much value from that is the same thing of like being in an office with other people doing bootstrap businesses. Um, and I was pretty comfortable. I remember thinking at one point, right, I've got to 8K MRR. I could hit the pause button right now and I'll be happy, um, happy forever. But, Actually, a couple of years go by and I'm actually like, okay, I've reached my limit now. I've redesigned the website three times and it still looks rubbish. (laughs) I've reached the limit of what I can do on my own. Um, And that's when I think, okay, I'm ready now. I'm ready to take on the stakeholder of hiring people. And I'm glad I took it that seriously because it is, as soon as you hire, hiring one person and hiring 10 people is kind of, you've you've lost a bit of freedom you've lost because because you've now got responsibility to a new stakeholder and i actually thought it was really interesting actually thinking about stakeholders because i also hadn't taken on the stakeholder of investors so really i had initially you know back in the very early days when i was just um geeking out you know thinking learning a new framework the only stakeholder was me actually at that point so it was like i just want to learn then it was okay customers actually uh because we need to grow the business and then this third stakeholder would be like okay now i want to build out a team Building out a team, I'll go into that. And it was, yeah, I hired uh, a designer. I hired a head of engineering and hired a few engineers. And these were quite easy 
decisions in that had the money in the bank. Um, so also, yeah, I had this rule, right, of like one way to de-risk the hiring was to get enough money in the bank to pay the salaries for a year. And then I wouldn't be in a position where I'm feeling stressed out because I can't make pay payday. So that was like my, uh, my de-risking strategy of hiring. Um, and then, yeah, making unrisky hires, you know, hiring engineers, hiring designers, hiring a designer, I knew we had lots of work in that space. So actually, um, you know, they were quite good, quite, quite easy decisions. The bit I found really difficult then was actually going from thinking of the company as literally just a company that makes technology and the customers find us through SEO or a few, few growth hacks to them being like, okay, we, we, I want to hire a growth person. I want to hire an ops person and how to make that transition because it's also a transition of potentially spending quite a lot of money as well and thinking like, and also like a high risk point of making the wrong hire at that point completely changes the, um, could completely, yeah, change, change, change the company. And so that was a really difficult bit and made, made quite a few mistakes there of hiring people that weren't the right experience level. So, quite, you know, something I've done in the past is pitch for mid-level hire really what I needed was a, was a top level hire and, you know, and it didn't, didn't work out because, you know, what I needed was the skills of someone who could come in and, and kind of do it and do it really well. And that's really difficult at that point for a bootstrap business to go from, okay, we're doing all right to then, okay, now we need to hire someone and it needs to be a decent salary and we need to get that right because the amount of time and effort and money wasted if we get that wrong is, uh, is hard. And you could even get it wrong by what is the job what type of job do you need? How do you build that team up? You know, it's not like, a, and I imagine, you know, imagine a funded business where you're like, okay, we've got all this money. We need to make, put this team in place. So we obviously need this, this, and this, and this. It's more like, what's the hire that makes sense at this point? And I thought about it doing, doing it incrementally and gradually. But I actually had a very amazing experience. I was working with a coach. Coach was helping me completely with all this people stuff. Um, and he did this exercise where it was kind of imagine yourself, you were in a room, he's sat in the corner, he's got a notebook and I stand in the middle of the room with my eyes closed and he's like, imagine where you are in two years. Tell me what you're having for breakfast, what's going on in your house, you know, who's there, what's happening um, and this real visualization and then it's like, okay, you're going to work, who's at work, what's happening, going into more of the detail of it and so really getting me to picture what I want my life to be like in two years time and then he's like, okay, step back a month. What's happening now? And it's like, okay, step back another month. And we go back and back and back and back. And then I realize, okay, I need to hire a growth person and an ops person. And I need to hire them today, basically, to make this plan work. And that gave me the confidence to go all in on that plan rather than think, oh, I'm just going to dip my toe in over here. Uh, you know, it was like, okay, no, we need, I need these people and they need to be good. So I'm just going to commit. And that was a bit of a game changing moment. So but got those hires in place, um, yeah, head of growth, head of ops um, in place by 2020. And, you know, the other thing is like going in on commit, uh, on uh, recruitment fees as well. Uh, you know, spending £10,000 on a recruitment fee is a huge, huge, huge deal for me. Um, but knowing that getting the right hire uh, is an even bigger deal, you know, this idea of what do you reckon what do you reckon the cost what do you reckon the cost has been to you so far in your business experience over the last 10 years of getting the hire wrong it's probably i mean it's probably you know sets us back about a year right of wasted time so however however much what however you compute that in terms of money but i i more i more compute it in terms of like my energy and motivation and it's probably like if i'd got that if i knew that if i knew this hindsight and i could have got those highs in we we could have we could have we could have been a lot further along um a lot quicker yeah i think this is really it it's um the difference between a bootstrapping business and a you know a proper funded one and obviously you know i'm i'm involved in two uh, in both of them um you're right in the funded one you get to have a plan of the people that you want to hire and how they will fit into a system and how they'll make sense over time and in a bootstrapped company you really can only generally see the one hire in front of you at most times, or you just have really great discipline for long enough and wait long enough to build up the reserve to then hire two or three, but very few people do that. 
So you are like super incrementally growing and fundamentally like trying to get your culture right when the growth is so slow as well is also so complicated, right? Like that's another thing too. It's, you know, culture feels so different going from one to two. Culture feels so different going from two to four. Um, But when it goes from one to two and two to four and then maybe no one else for another year as well, you know, you, you kind of uh, have to sort of create this um, this this energy and this vibe. It's so tight knit at that at that level, um, yeah. and yeah, I mean, I guess where I'm where I'm sort of leading towards with this is wanting to know. You mentioned you hired these high level roles at 2020. Um, what was your MRR like then? And by the way, that's a monthly recurring revenue to listeners that don't know that term. It's specifically a, a subscription type of term, often in software. Um, but you were mentioning before, like for example, you were 8K MRR, and then you were thinking about your first hire. And then you've then you've talked about, you know, and suddenly we're in 2020, and you've got a head of growth and a head of product, and like you know these kind of people. Where were you positionally as a company then? What had changed? Yeah. So as a company, I'm literally loading up the dashboard now, actually, to give you an exact figure. So in January 2020, we made £110,000. So doing all right, you know, doing things are going well. So it's like, it's almost feels like it's a waste not to do this. This business is going places. And uh, if we, if I don't, if I don't jump on this, if I don't put the team in place, then it's, I'm going to waste it. It's going to, um, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be a real waste of all this momentum at being at the right place at the right time. In terms of the other thing about the culture side of things as well was, you know, going from being on your own to growing a team and as you say one or two people, you don't need to think about this too much. Um, but you need to think about it to an extent is, uh, and then going to three to four and then hiring, uh, top level people as well was, uh, you really need to codify what it is that you think makes your business successful and what it is that gets you out of bed every day. And that comes as just instinct to, came it's coming as instinct to me, right? I'd never had to like articulate this in any sort of way and to unpack that and to detangle it and to figure out which bits actually were important and which bits weren't was so difficult. And that was what I spent hours and hours with, with my coach is like figuring out that stuff. And, you know, I remember at one point being... Uh, really thinking like I wanted the office to be uh, decorated a certain way, you know, back in 2018 or something. And um, it was someone else's job to like do the office. And uh, and it was a big deal. And my coach was like, well, what is this? Is this is this business about what you want it? You know, is it is it is this business all about you or is it about what you want to achieve? And it's like, actually, yeah, you're right. This is a complete detail that is not important at all. Um, I should not be like holding on to this idea. This isn't the thing. This isn't the thing, you know. So, so untangling all that stuff when you've got all when you can make all the decisions and you can act so instinctively to then coding that into values um, in terms of what you think it is that makes this formula successful was a lot of work. So, I guess you're 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 building a team you're codifying things you're you're doing the things that you know ultimately at some point every business owner figures out that they need to do the question is like it's been at this point almost 10 years and yeah you've had an exit and brought it back and all the rest of it but are you still interested are you still motivated every day and if so why like what is it that is getting you out of bed every day mm yeah so 2020 got these new hires and uh, it's exciting because we've got this new team in place. Um, COVID comes along and then actually we've got a completely different, uh, you know, a completely different uh, mindset. We, th- we throw our strategy out the window and we've got to go into survival mode and we bet on events coming back. And sure enough, they come back. And in 2021, our revenue has is doing really, really well. So in 2021, we made um, 2.4 million pounds and we had profit margins of 50% and NPS of 67. Um, we sold 6.7 million tickets that year. So, you know, things are going really, really well and I should be feeling amazing. I should be feeling like this is it. I've made it. And and essentially I have made it, right? Like it felt like this is success. And, but... Yeah, I mean, that that is, right? In so many objective measures, that's success, you know, more, more than anything, you've got 50% profit margin so you're doing it right yeah and the thing was it was the feeling was like 
exactly that question. Why, what am I getting out of bed for? What am I doing this for? Like, are we just going to keep growing this thing? Is we just, is the goal just to get that bar, that line to keep going up and to the right? Like, is that, is that all it's for? Like, what's the, what's the point in it? And so I had this real moment of, uh, reflection of, okay, well, what is it? What is it all for actually? What do I love about work? And a whole bunch of things came to mind, right? Working with a great team was one of them, right? Um, you know, going on team trips. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing we did was like, we gave some money to charity, ad hoc amount, end of the year, we'd give uh, like five grand to a local community thing. And that felt really good. You know, growth itself, the opportunities it provides, and also like providing an outstanding service to all our customers. So all this stuff was like, yeah, all that stuff's great. Um, but how can I, how can I bring that more to the fore? And it be about that more than it be about just get the line going up to the right in terms of revenue, because that's all that people talk about in tech and about, and, uh, in terms of aspirations for, for tech businesses as well. And I love this idea of business as a force for good. And it wasn't, you know, it didn't just come across me at that point. You know, I didn't just think, okay, no, I want to be about business force for good. Something I've been talking about throughout but not really articulating I have little spatterings of things here and there of like okay we'll give a bit of money to charity or um you know we'll um i don't know have charity discount or uh these kinds of things and so i said to the team uh the leadership team i said i explained that i was feeling demotivated like great that we've got this far everyone's done a really great job like what amazing results well done um but what are we doing it for? We need to we need to answer this question, and so we had. There's only so many Porsches Johnny can buy before he's born with Porsches. <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> so yeah, it's one. Of, I mean, it's one of those kind of you know, um, uh, head of growth kind of put it as like it's a little bit like um, being in a situation where yeah, you've you've got lots of money and you don't know what to do, right? I suppose is like is what it's like, um, and. I, we go into this meeting and I say the, the the main remit is I don't want us to be business as usual. I don't want us to, um, I don't want, I don't want to think that way. It just seems a bit depressing. Uh, and we go into this meeting and we put loads of ideas down and we come up with this idea called growth on purpose. And this is now our, like our mantra, our vision for how we want to grow. And the idea is that for every ticket we sell, we want to have a positive impact across all our stakeholders. And I think that's a really key point across all our stakeholders. That's our users, that's our team, that's the planet. And we made a whole bunch of decisions to bring all this together from being a smattering of things and a kind of some nice ideas to being something really tan tangible. And so a few of the things that we like committed to at that point was like, okay, well, we'll do a profit share scheme. So we set up 15% profit share, uh, end of the year, we share out 15% of the team. And we don't do that based on pay grade or anything like that. It's just split out. And uh, if you've been around a bit longer, you get a little bit more. Um, we also decided to donate a penny, uh, we call it a penny for the planet, we donate a penny to climate causes for every ticket we sell. So then we found some charity partners that we work with, all about restoring wildlife. So Cumbria Wildlife Trust, Ocean Conservation Trust, and a couple of others. And so for every ticket we sell, we put a penny aside and uh, we donate every quarter. We, quarter just gone, we donated £32,000 across our, across our charity partners. And last year it was like over 140 grand we donated. And it really, and then, and then on top of that, then we also became B Corp certified, just like uh, you guys are at Heights. And as you know, it's a, a difficult process. It's not something you do uh, lightly. And um, so but you then should we, try having a physical supply chain and see what lightly looks right. like. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Sure. It's even harder. Um, but we wanted this external accountability. We didn't want to just be feeling like, okay, cool, we're doing some good stuff, pat ourselves on the back. We wanted it to be like, you know, held to a high standard. And so B Corp obviously is the gold standard um, for this sort of thing. So yeah, so we've packaged it all together in this growth on purpose. And honestly, this transformed my motivation. Like I'm more motivated today with the idea of how far can we grow this business, knowing that the growth is positive from all stakeholders. Um, and it be a force for good and how can then we inspire other businesses as well to do the same um so yeah that to me now is the real motivating thing that's my why now that's why i get out of bed and it's like it's like tuning that tuning that growth more towards positive impact than it is by default basically yeah and i think there's a really interesting lesson here so a lot of bootstrap businesses really struggle and you know you've described a business over 10 years um the first thing i wanted to say is the thing that people never consider is everyone thinks about what happens if and when my business fails. That's sensible and logical. 
not many people think about what happens if it doesn't fail and it just carries on and at some point after 10 years you really like I mean usually much sooner than 10 years you really need a good reason to just go back into work and just keep doing it because at some point you feel stuck you feel stuck doing the thing that you started like it's amazing being an employee giving your best work to a company and then if you want to just leave and you know move on and 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 give your best work to another company that will pay maybe even more for your time so founders don't really have that freedom and especially not bootstrap founders so you have to really position the company to a certain point to actually have any position to maneuver yourself um i think there's multiple ways of doing this. Now, for a lot of bootstrap founders, the fires keep on coming, the problems keep on coming. And if you're a problem solving type of person, that actually can often be enough motivation for you because you believe that one time you're going to solve the problem that's going to solve all the other problems and everything's going to go away and everything's going to be successful and then it will all be great. But actually, you know, sometimes you build a business over 10 years and it becomes successful and profitable and kind of looks like it can't lose. You know, the core focus of how the business is set up, especially in technology businesses, of course, um, is at a point where you could go multiple directions. And I think what you've identified is an amazing adept uh, like framework to rediscover your own why inside your own company. Yeah, and I think bootstrapping is definitely... Uh, the reason why that's been possible, you know, and one of the things that I say, you know, when talking about business as a force for good is be careful in the early days to not shut down your options. You know, if you if you take on investment and you're promising investors skyrocket growth, you've made a promise and that's your that's that's what you're that, that's going to be the direction your business can have to go. You're going to have to focus on that as, as the thing. Um, and you may cut out the option of being like, actually, do you know what? I want to make this about purpose. And um, so being aware of that early on, which you might not be, but it's good to uh, check in and see, 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 if it, see if it might be to keep those options open um, as, as it grows. I guess a really important question is, you know, what next? Like, do you actually want to sell the business at some point or has rediscovering this sort of taken that off the table and... I know it's a really hard question to ask on a podcast where, you know, you may, might feel like you have to answer a certain way, but I'm really curious, genuinely, like, how do you feel about it all? Yeah, I feel really excited about it. I feel like we've got so much potential to grow the business. And I feel like there's so much, there's so much possibility. There's so much opportunity in the tech industry to rethink how, uh, why we do business, not how we do business, why we do business. Um, I think there's a, huge obsession with growth and i think we're not sure why as in like we don't stop to think why 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 are we growing these businesses and uh yeah so i don't, I don't want to sell the business i want to use what we've got to demonstrate that you can have it all i want to demonstrate that you can have a purpose-driven business that is not only um it's not only for the sake of feeling good but for the sake of actually it drives growth as well so the the fact that we inject purpose into the business creates tons of motivation for me, which means I, you know, put all my energy into my work every day. It also means the team, you know, the, the same for the same reasons, you know, the team are coming to work because they know that the impact that we have uh, is is very meaningful. And so that brings a lot of motivation. It makes hiring easier. It makes retention easier um, and all of these things. So what I really want to do is, yeah, take this business as far as it can go and show that business and purpose actually go a lot more hand in hand than we think and if we become more purpose-driven the growth will follow and um, will we'll really help okay so tough question but uh as we're coming to the end if ticket taylor fails why will that happen what do you think the big stumbling blocks are that are likely to you know cause a great big unseen downfall what's your blind spot um if ticket taylor fails it will be hmm what could it be um i think for us i think i mean it depends how you define failure as well like i think for us if we took on funding if something happened and we needed to raise money i think that would be a failure in my current version of things but 
maybe I did just my uh, perspective on things there. Yeah, I'll, I'll speak to you the night before you take the money and be <laughs> yeah. like, ah, just take it, Johnny. It's okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, that freedom actually, like losing that freedom of like, we're independent and that's what enables us to do all this stuff is like, that would be a failure for me. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I struggle to like think what failure is because even if it all got taken away tomorrow, it's still been amazing, right? <laughs> so like, in a way, and I always used to think this as well. I always used to think like to get over fear around stuff. Like when I brought it back from time out, I always used to think anytime I was doing anything that I was slightly anxious about, I think, well, I could have always not brought it back, you know? So <laughs> in a way it always feels like um, uh, there's been so much luck along the way that, um, so yeah, I don't know, I guess, I guess like we're seeing a ton of momentum at the moment um, because uh, Eventbrite have just put their prices up. And so we're seeing a lot of new customers come in through there. I think for us, a failure around that might be um, that we don't position ourselves correctly. Someone else comes in and um, swoops up that business. That's a real opportunity for us to like, um, yeah, to, to change, change trajectory as a business. Um, and I mean, I think, I guess just like, you know, we're, 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 we're a very broad platform. We're across multiple industries, uh, companies pop up in individual industries and, uh, that, that we can't necessarily compete with. So that's something that could eat away at us is like an industry specific things coming along and kind of taking the market away from us piece by piece. Um, which is obviously something that we're, you know, trying not to have as a blind spot. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. So, uh, 10 years in the hot seat, well, over 10 years in the hot seat, as a bootstrap founder, uh, what would you say to your younger self to make this journey slightly easier? I would say trust in your gut more, like trust, trust the ideas around business for good and just, just want own them to more. know that he just pointed to his heart, which might be the <laughs> first problem, but Hey, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so really trusting trusting that instinct, and because because it's often felt like it is going against the grain of 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 uh, certainly in tech the tech world. So trusting that and being really confident about that, but then also taking in as much as possible from how businesses grow as well. So you know, I worked with a coach, and that was absolutely transformative. And so um, fast forwarding that, fast forwarding that process of working with a coach, doing doing that more, and uh, but making sure that I that did not blind what what i felt in terms of how the business needs to be a force for good um yeah i think it's that it's right it's about being very like receptive to how businesses grow and advice from people um but being very uh fixed on the idea of okay this is why this is why i want to do it so adjust the interpret the advice with that filter would be would be would be the be the advice not very succinct <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. It wasn't one of your tips, so not really a problem. Um, okay, the last question. Uh, a lot of our listeners are bootstrappers, right? And that's something that we've learned. And so what tips are you giving? I want three tips for bootstrapping success from someone who has been doing this for over a decade. Yep. Okay, cool. So hire people that align with what you want to do. So making sure you know where you might want to take the business as you go and make sure you hire people that align with uh with 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 that vision that's really important yeah be careful not to close down options always be very cautious about any uh one-way door that you're going through um because the more doors you can keep open the more uh you can evolve the business in the way that you want it to as as, as it goes um and then finally i think Ultimately, I think as humans, we all care about legacy that, that we leave behind. And my tip, not just to bootstrappers, to any business leader, is instead of thinking about positive impact and uh, legacy as something that we might do in retirement or something that we might do once we've made all the money, is how can we integrate it whilst we're making the money, whilst we're growing the businesses? Because it's way more impactful, you know? Businesses live way longer uh, than, um, uh, than than people often do. So you can have a lot more legacy and a lot more impact if, 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 if you work out how to integrate that into the growth engine of your business. Yeah, it's interesting because it's similar to just the general startup advice people give when people ask all those questions, which is just start. 
You want to make an impact? Just start. You want to leave a legacy? Just start. Yeah. Same as starting a business, right? Yeah. And no step is too small as well, right? Like that's the other thing is people feel like, oh, if I do this, then I'll feel like I'm, I don't know, greenwashing or something. And it's like, don't worry about that. Just if you feel it, if it feels authentic, just do it. Yeah. Great advice. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you so much for coming on Secret Leaders and sharing the story of Ticket Taylor. As you know, I'm a very happy customer and I'll be continuing to use it for another decade. Thanks so much, Dan. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode and found it useful, please write us a review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. It makes a real difference and we genuinely love reading what you think. We read every single review. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta, and we'll be back next week with more lessons for entrepreneurs and leaders. This episode was produced by Alex Graham, Ruth Edwards, and all brought together by our head of podcast, Will Stolomon. See you next time.